Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh joins us to discuss the fight against the Liberals' clawbacks on CERB and Aaron O'Toole's comments on residential schools. Limeridge Mall in Hamilton says it's extending its hours in anticipation of shoppers coming from the GTA lockdown zones. Well, shopping not being essential in Hamilton in the red zone, is this really a good idea? And Canadians reporting heightened anxiety and binge drinking as the lonely holidays loom. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. My commentary day this morning had to do with uh, conservative leader Aaron O'Toole. Mr. O'Toole was addressing students at Ryerson University in Toronto. Uh, and uh, for those who may not know, uh, Ryerson University is actually uh, named after Edgerton Ryerson, who was a, a, a politician a diplomat in, in back in the day of Sir John A. Macdonald. And Mr. Ryerson was uh, in part responsible for the... Uh, the beginning of the residential school program uh, that, uh, well, is one of the darker days in our history. And uh, he made some comments that are getting a lot of pushback right now. This is just a, a tiny excerpt from what Mr. O'Toole said about residential schools and Mr. Ryerson. But when Egerton Ryerson was called in by Hector Langevin and people, it was meant to tr- try and provide education. It became a horrible program that that really harmed people. We have to learn from that. And I, I wear orange and I do that but we're not helping anyone by by misrepresenting the past. Uh, the pushback, obviously, is that Mr. O'Toole seems to be downplaying uh, Mr. Ryerson's uh, contributions, shall we say, to residential schools, and probably also downplaying the impact that residential schools had on the Aboriginal community. And to suggest that they were there for education, as I mentioned in my commentary, is akin to uh, suggesting that southern plantation owners uh, were offering uh, enslaved black people uh, employment opportunities. I mean, it's just it's it's whitewashing a terrible moment in our history. Uh, I want to get a comment uh, from our next guest about that and a number of other things we wanted to bring up uh, to do with COVID and the government's handling of a number of issues right now. And to that end, we're pleased to welcome uh, Jagmeet Singh, who is the leader of the Federal New Democratic Party, back to the program. Uh, Mr. Singh, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you with us again. My pleasure. Thank you. Jagmeet, what's your what's your you know, reaction to what Mr. O'Toole said about about the residential school program? It's just it's incredible. It's well established. It's not controversial now. Everyone knows. There's no doubt. In fact, the architects of residential schools weren't trying to hide this. The single goal of residential schools was to isolate Indigenous people from the language and culture with the express goal of destroying their identity. That was the goal. It was never about providing education. It was always about, uh, quote-unquote, taking the Indian out of the, of the child. It was always about exterminating a culture and the harm was not something that happened by chance. It was designed. And for Aaron O'Toole not to acknowledge that is, is, is incredibly callous and disregarding the basic, well-established consensus agreement around the purpose of residential schools. This, this kind of revisionist history is, is, is harmful to it. I mean, we're trying to understand who we are and what we are. And if we pretend things didn't happen or things weren't as bad as they were that's 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 really clouding the, the message here isn't it it is absolutely and it and it's purposely uh, problematic when we all know this wasn't a hidden uncertain thing this is clear this is clear in the architecture of the program it was clear in the purpose it was clear from the outset there was there was no denial to take Indigenous kids from their families, take them away from their communities, 
forced them to not speak their language. There's so many clear examples of how this was never about providing tools or education or opportunity. This is about taking little kids away from their parents and forcing them to deny who they are with the goal of removing their identity, with removing who they are, their, their history, their heritage, their way of life. It was purposely designed, and it worked. To this day, people feel the, the trauma, and, it, and, and it's really harmful for Aaron O'Toole to suggest this was a, a, a consequence that, that happened by accident, and, it, and it's a sad thing that happened by accident. It is important to acknowledge when something is designed to do something purposely, we have to acknowledge that. That is the only way we can acknowledge the harms that people have faced so that we can help people heal. The word here that I'm looking for, I guess, is indoctrination. It's not education at all. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that it's not, it's not again, a surprise because the, the architects were very clear. They were, it was designed, there were quotes when I started off with a quote, there was a quote that this was designed to rid indigenous people of their language and culture with their goal of weakening an entire community with the goal of eradicating them. And it's been as well established. In fact, politicians have come out and, and acknowledged that in statements. And I'm, I'm shocked that Aaron O'Toole would, would say something to the contrary when it's so well established. Well, uh, you just have to wonder what constituency he's playing to when he's making comments like that. But I guess that's a question that Mr. O'Toole himself has to wrestle with, and, and right. we'll see what kind of a reaction with. A uh, number of other things, uh, sir, that I want to talk to you about. Uh, you've been sure. knee-deep, of course, in what's gone on with uh, the COVID-19 uh, programs and some of the assistance programs that have gone in place. One that is uh, getting an awful lot of attention, I think justifiably so too, is uh, is the CERB program. And we all know the, the rationale for that. It was to try to offer immediate assistance to people that were uh, being uh, impacted negatively, of course, by layoffs and a number of other things. Uh, but I'm hearing from an awful lot of people, and I'm sure you have over the last couple of weeks too, about the uh, the latest government policy, which essentially says, well, look, we don't think a number of you people qualified and we want our money back. As a matter of fact, they wanted it back by the end of this year. Uh, a lot of the people that are being targeted here are people that are still out of work or underemployed, as the case might be. Uh, whose responsibility is it if there's a, is a mess up here and people are getting checks that they, they, meaning the government, don't think we're actually worthy of it? Well, well, for me, this is a, a massive problem. And the reason why it's a problem is I look at the Liberal government and the evidence before them, the facts that are there, and who they're cho- choosing to go after. On one hand, they've chosen to go after self-employed. The majority of the people that receive these letters are self-employed. And the reason is they say, well, you applied, and actually the definition of, of the $5,000 threshold was your net income, not your gross income. So it's whether or not someone is a small business or self-employed who uh, earned $10,000, but it costs them for their tools and the equipment. It cost them $6,000 to make that 10000 So really, they only made 4000 Well, none of that was written anywhere in the application. In fact, the finance minister said it was total income. So all people had to rely on when they first applied was yeah, of course we made at least $5,000 um, self-employed. And these aren't millionaires or billionaires. They're just getting by. So the Liberal government has chosen to go after those self-employed people who didn't earn a lot of money, who, who needed the help, but is in- completely ignoring and letting off the hook the 66 companies that took a billion dollars of public money and turned around and paid $5 billion in dividends. For a company to pay a dividend, they're basically saying that we're very profitable and successful, so we're going to give our shareholders some money. 
the fact that we know that these 66 companies have paid out massive dividends and taken public money claiming that they were in a loss, that's who the Liberal government should go after. Why would they go after self-employed people because they didn't earn enough money to qualify when they weren't clear about that? So this is absolutely an example of the Liberal government and Justin Trudeau going after working people, workers, and letting the richest companies off the hook. And I don't understand the rationale. If I recall, and and we, like many other people, of course, were watching the daily briefings from the Prime Minister back in the day, back in the springtime when this program was initiated. Uh, And and the message, I'm paraphrasing it, was basically, look, just apply, and we'll sort this out later on. We know you need help right away, just apply, and and then, you know, we'll we'll filter through this stuff later on. And so, you know, we took, I guess, the government at their word on that. But as you said, there was no clarity about who can get this, whether self-employed or employed. There was no clarity about income levels, gross income, net income, things of this nature. Those were rules that were applied after the fact, and now they're penalizing people that applied back in the day when those rules didn't exist, or at least weren't made public anyway. Absolutely. In fact, a journalist who's been doing a lot of work, lots of journalists who've been doing great work on this, had archived the the CERB website, the landing website. So when you first applied for CERB back when it was announced, they actually have that website archived and they've confirmed that there's absolutely no clarity around this net or gross income that self-employed workers were not told that this was a difference. They were not given any clarity. So they applied in good faith. More than that, they applied rightly so. They were told that if you've got this income threshold that you can apply, they had that income threshold. Now to turn around six months later and say, oh, actually, you know what? We're going to revise the definition of when you applied. That's completely unjust. And really, the goal of CERB, and I was there, I was fighting for it. In fact, we doubled it. We made sure that it was not cut off for workers. We doubled the amount that people received, made more people included, included some of the uh, gig workers and precarious workers. We fought hard to make sure Canadians got this help. Now the Liberal government's turning around and saying, okay, those workers that applied, we're going to change retroactively the criteria and make you have to repay it. And giving people a letter just weeks before the holiday saying you've got to pay back $12,000, $14,000. I've spoken with some of these workers. John from Newfoundland was an artist who received a grant. That's how he got paid. That's his income. And now he's being told that, no, that's not income. None of that was clarified when he first applied. And now he feels like he's being thrown off a cliff with a letter that says he's got to pay back $12,000 within a couple of weeks. People don't have that kind of money sitting around to pay back. And he certainly doesn't the wrong thing for the Liberal government to do, for Justin Trudeau to do. What should happen is they should go after these companies, which we have clear evidence made profits, and they claim that they were in a loss. Well, that's fine. Now it's clear that they made a profit. Let's ask them to pay back. And that's a very clear thing. They're profitable. They have money. They paid their dividends to shareholders. So pay back what you've taken from Canadian people. There's a mixed message that's going on here because over the last number of years, uh, we, uh, by I mean the society, but specifically governments, uh, both provincial and federal, and you've served in both, uh, we're encouraging entrepreneurship. You know, people go out on their own, start something brand new. Let's be creative. And and it's been very successful, and we've seen that in, in southern Ontario especially. Uh, mm-hmm. It was one of the driving engines, of course, in the economic growth that we had pre-pandemic. But now the government seems to be turning around and saying, yeah, well, if you, if you are one of those entrepreneurial types that did that, you're on your own now. It, it, it just doesn't seem to make any sense. No, it really doesn't. It, and it's really the skewed priority. Like, there are certainly cases that should be reviewed, and, and that's absolutely appropriate to review 
a case if a, if a company or someone received money that they shouldn't receive. But this is just not it. This is just not it. This is not, this is not the right decision to go after these self-employed workers with really no grounds. There's absolutely no, no grounds to go after them. It is discouraging. It does, it definitely sends a, a negative message to entrepreneurs. And again, let's look at the people that they're going after. These are not billionaires or millionaires or people earning uh, outlandish or outrageous incomes. These are people that they're claiming didn't earn enough money. Well, well, that certainly doesn't suggest to me that these are people that didn't need help. If anything, the the Liberal government's argument would suggest that perhaps they needed even more help. If if they're claiming that they didn't meet the 5,000 threshold because the cost of their business uh, should be factored in, well, doesn't that mean that they might need more help rather than less? It certainly does not mean that they should not have received help, especially when the government was not clear and did not provide the information at the time of the application. For so many reasons, we've been continuing to put pressure on the Liberal government that, listen, stop going after these workers. This is not the right thing to do before the holiday season. For so many reasons, it's not the right thing to do. And there are other people that they can pursue. There's other businesses they can look at who clearly are in a better position to pay back, and rightly so should pay back, but it's not these workers. With the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, uh, Mr. Singh, uh, the the Prime Minister made some statements, and uh, Christy Freeland, the Finance Minister, with their economic update from a week or two ago now, uh, and they talked about some of the things that they'd like to pursue and include. Uh, one of them was a national farmer care program, which I know that you and your party have been advocating for for years now, and. Uh, I remind our listeners mm-hmm. that that was actually supposed to be part of the Medicare program that came into place in 1964. Uh, but at the, at the time, the government of the day simply said, look, there's too much on our plate right now. We'll get to that later on. Well, here we are in 2020. We still haven't done it yet. Uh, there is going to be a, an update, of course, a budget update coming up probably in February, as there usually is. How insistent will you be this time around to suggest that, look, it's got to be. Don't just talk about it. It has to be in that, pla- in that platform and in that budget. Well, I really believe that the, the pandemic has exposed that this is a massive gap in our healthcare system. When, when millions of Canadians lost their jobs because of lockdowns, and rightly so, those lockdowns were important, but when Canadians lost their jobs, they also lost their benefits. So even more millions of Canadians could not afford their medication. And the thought of having a healthcare system that's universal and public, but not being able to afford medication really makes no sense. And that's why every other country in the world that has a public universal healthcare system has included medication coverage because they realized it really makes no sense for people to be able to go to a doctor, get diagnosed with an illness, and then get prescribed uh, a, a medication to cure that illness or to maintain their health, and then simply not be able to afford to do so. It, it's the wrong thing to do. Um, so what we're saying is we have to do it. And, and we know the evidence is very clear there might be some reluctance from premiers, but we know that there was reluctance when we brought in Medicare at that time. And we know that it'll save money. It'll save money for people individually, but it'll also save money for the provinces. It'll save money at the federal level. There are so many people that get more and more ill because they don't take the medication, can't afford the medication they need. And then it costs so much more when they go to the extreme level of an illness. They end up in a hospital. If you look at diabetes, for example, end up on a dialysis machine all of that could be prevented if people had the medication to maintain their health. So there's, there's no question that this is the right thing to do, and we are absolutely going to keep on putting up the, ramping up the pressure, ratcheting it up uh, come the new year, 
to say, listen, this is something we don't want to see empty words on. We want to see concrete action on. Uh, we'll have to leave it there for now. Uh, lots more to talk about, but uh, we'll have plenty of time, I'm sure, in the uh, the weeks ahead to do that. Mr. Singh, thank you so Absolutely. much for the time today. Great talking with you again. Thanks, sir. My pleasure. Take care. Jagmeet Singh, of course, leader of the uh, Federal New Democratic Party. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. A lot of pushback by the announcement uh, the other day, but uh, CF Limeridge Mall in Hamilton up at the South Mountain. Uh, that are extending their hours, uh, their mall hours, as a matter of fact, uh, as they said, in anticipation of shoppers coming from GTA lockdown zones. Uh, we are in the middle of a pandemic, and there's a great deal of concern about that. Yesterday on the program, uh, we spoke with an infectious disease specialist, Dr. Zane Shagla, on the program, and, well, he expressed some concerns about this kind of the wrong messaging here right like it, it should be the opposite i mean it should be you know essential hours more than the the extension of hours i mean less more mixing is better than less mix i'm sorry worse than less mixing and so it's obviously concerning going into the times where we're seeing the highest number of cases in the city and healthcare strains and everything else that we're kind of still having people doing kind of more elective mixing in public so are you going to abide by this? Is there going to be some pushback? Is Limeridge Mall reconsidering this? And how are the people in the neighborhoods and the surrounding areas feeling about this? Esther Paul is the city councilor for Ward 7 up on the Central Mountain in Hamilton, which, of course, is where Limeridge Mall is located. And she joins us on the program to talk about this. Uh, councilor, good to talk with you again. I hope you're doing well these days. I am, and thank you, Bill. Esther, what was your reaction when you heard the announcement from Limeridge Mall? Well, first of all, I want to say that I call Liam. Uh, he is the um, general manager of Cadillac Fairview Lime Ridge Mall. Mm-hmm. And I had a long conversation, and I want this message to be clear. First of all, the message has always been clear. Stay home, clean your hands, two meters apart, wear a mask, and only shop for essentials. Now, if I, you give me a couple of minutes, I'll tell you that he's been misunderstood. And the reason is this. The new hours are... Right now, they're from 10 to 9. He changed them from 9 to 9. One hour in the morning, he added. And the main reason was because older people would like to come earlier, and therefore they can extend, um, you know, uh, the hour uh, the people shop. Also, I want you to know that all safety measures have been implemented at the mall. They hired a company that does cleaning. It's a high-tech cleaning, 99.99 infection and disease control has been made at the mall. Also, a couple more things. The mall is one million square feet facility. If you think of it, probably 10 Costco fits in there. And also, he said that he does traffic control. They're allowed 4,000 people, but he cut it in half. And they are, he's only allowing 2,000 people coming in. Uh, now, he doesn't have that kind of people coming in there yet. But he's saying the reason he changed the hour is not to have people from other uh, cities coming, especially Toronto, when, anywhere. He's not doing that for them because if he would, he said he would have added to the later hours. So that wasn't his uh, intention at all. And uh, so he wanted to be clear. I could not believe people emailing me saying, oh, I can't believe it. He's inviting everybody from Toronto. He is not doing that. We want to um, make sure uh, we shop, uh, shop local. We actually pass a mayor's task force to shop local, do it, you know, smartly, have wisdom, balance 
with safety, we need to do this. We need to uh, support a local business. And one more little fact. Did you know that Lime Ridge Ball has 70% of the owners there live in Hamilton? They're franchises. People think they're big companies, but they're not. There are people that live here in Hamilton trying to survive. So that was the message, and he does not want people from Toronto coming. And if you think of it, if I'm coming from Toronto, I would probably stop at Oakville and Burlington before I come to Hamilton. So that was not the intention at all. There's a little, I think, revisionist stuff going on because the the initial media release we saw that my producer showed me uh, indicated that they were uh, considering uh, people from the lockdown areas that might be coming here. So uh, I, I, he may be responding to some of the pushback that he's received on that. And I, I, I understand where you're coming from. And for those who may not know, of course, years ago I was on city council, and that was the area I represented, where you are right now in Ward 7. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I know all about Lime Ridge Mall and, the, and Cadillac Fairview, and I know you've established a pretty good relationship with them from your yeah. time on council, too, uh, which yeah. is a good thing. I still think there should have been a arena up there, but we'll get to that. <laughs> and that's, an, that's another topic that's for another day. <laughs> but, but the problem here is, is I understand that, but as, as Dr. Shagla mentioned on the show yesterday, uh, there's a possibility here, the probability, of people coming from other areas, and we're supposed to be staying at home right now. And I, right. I know, I know that uh, that Limeridge said that. Look, at, we're going to follow all the precautions, uh, and they have been, so far as I can understand, from people mm-hmm. I know that have actually gone shopping there. But mm-hmm. are you asking and inviting this, with this initial release people to move, well, come from other jurisdictions into this area, and we're right. not, which we're not supposed to be doing because of the pandemic? And we're not doing that. And if you think of it, it he Leah made a good point that. He added 9 o'clock, one hour he extended it. It's 9 to 9 instead of 10 to 9. So if he, he said if I really wanted people from outside, I would definitely would do maybe 10 to 11 or 10 to 10. But he did the early morning. And, Bill, I don't know if you know, before COVID, uh, there were hundreds of people going to the mall to do walking. You know what time they started? At 7.30. Yep. in the morning, and they would do their walk. So we have a lot of uh, people that love the mall, do the walking. That's pre-COVID. They're not doing that now. But I'm saying he just added the, the nine. And you know what? I am so for helping the small business. I am. I see small business shutting down. I see Concession Street. They're trying to, uh, you know, stay open some of the restaurants, and they can. They do curbside. I see the pain. I, I see the pain also of COVID. We have to make sure we follow the rule. We have to make sure that COVID is out and it's gone. Now we got the vaccine. So we're all trying. And when I saw this and, and uh, that people are emailing me saying, you know, the mall shouldn't be doing that. Of course they, they, they don't want people from out of town. It's a given they don't want that. But maybe it was misunderstood. And maybe, like you said, he thought about it. But I give him the benefit of a doubt. And the reason I give him that benefit is because he added one extra hour in the morning. And that was to disperse people um, even an extra hour and not coming all at, you know, at 10 o'clock. So, and that was his reasoning. And like Mr. Ford said, the, our premier, he stated many times, do not leave or travel outside your area, especially if you are on lockdown. And Toronto, we know, is on lockdown. We know Windsor, Essex, Peel. Uh, but Hamilton is not. Hamilton right now is in red. Small business are trying to survive. And uh, they're doing the best. And you know what else I know? 
that the small business are, are taking even greater uh, precautions because they don't want to be shut down. I go to, honest, I don't want to pick on Costco or Walmart or any other. I go and I see lineups there all the time. Actually, I don't go there anymore because you have to wait at least an hour in line, you know. So I'm just promoting let's be fair, let's help, and let's all be wise about it, what to do. We all need to survive this, and together Hamilton can do it by helping each other out. Make sure you're safe. Make sure you do the distance. Make sure you wash your hands. Make sure you wear the mask. Make sure. And I know the small business are doing their part as well. You know, every time I drive by there, uh, and I, not that I go out a whole lot, but it, it, the, the parking lot is still jammed. It looks to me like a typical Christmas shopping season there. So I'm, right. I'm wondering just how, how, you know, how limiting they are with the number of people that they allow. And I know that some of the stores are doing that. And Esther, your point is well taken. I, I understand that most of the shop owners there are, as you say, they're renting space and they're paying an yeah. un- ungodly amount of rent. Power. But that's yeah. that's the that's the that's life in the in the retail business when you're in a mall. I get that. Yeah. Uh, and they are local people. I understand that as well. But the concern here is the spread of the virus. And when you see the numbers here in Hamilton, and your point's well taken, yes, we're in the red zone right now, that might change very shortly because of the way the numbers continue to go up. So this this may be a moot discussion, frankly. But the reality here is that we're not doing everything we should be doing to to control the spread of the virus. So I can understand people's concern when they hear an announcement like this to say, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be extending hours anywhere. Maybe we should be contracting hours. Well, maybe we should, but that, that, we're not in the red zone. So a business like the mall, all that, you know what, if he was allowed 4,000 people, Bill, and he only allows 2,000, he went be, below what the standard was. He said, and, and they have security there all the time. I, I went because, and I want to tell you, Lionbridge has been so supportive for um, charities. We just did an outside thing where people brought food for local uh, food banks. And you should see people coming, giving food, giving money. Like, they have done so much for the community, you know. They're always there. And I think, you know, uh, let's really think about what he said. He's extending one hour. And if people don't want that extra hour at 9 o'clock, Maybe he'll take it out for those 10 to 9. But I think adding that early hour is more for older people or people that are early riser or people that cannot shop online. You know, I saw a media tweet that says shop online. Well, not everybody's savvy. There's a lot of older people or even that they're not savvy with the computer. They don't trust their uh, shopping online. So we got to give them the benefit of doubt. I just want to tell all Hamilton, we're all trying our best. We will get through this if we all work together. Uh, you know that I had a running store, and my logo was, together we go the distance. And I want to say again, Hamilton, together we'll get over it, together we'll go the distance, and together we'll help each other. And instead of, uh, you know, uh, saying Limerick is a terrible place, let's give them the Nobody, I, Nobody's saying that, Esther. No, nobody's no. saying that. And, but my point here is that because I've talked to some of the people that do rent stores in, mm-hmm. in that particular mall, and they got the email, and it said yeah. it was to accommodate shoppers from Toronto. So yeah. if, if the it general manager there has changed his mind about that, God bless him. Yeah. But that was not yeah. the initial intent. Right. And I think that was a mistake. Bill, you're absolutely right. That statement, it doesn't sit well with what the mayor 
what the see our uh, our own city is saying. You're absolutely right, Bill. That statement is not right, and maybe he did it. It wasn't right said, sadly, uh, properly. So, but now we know the reason. Now we know, and I think we'll move on. And I agree. Like you know, it wasn't a right statement. Uh, Esther Paul is the uh, city councilor for Ward Seven up on the Central Mountain. Esther, thank you again so much for this. Great talking with you, Bill. Anytime. Thank you. Have a nice Christmas. You Happy too. New Year. All the best okay. to you too. Uh, Councillor Esther Pauls. This is the Bill Kelly Show, 980 CFPL London and 900 CHML in Hamilton. Uh, this is an issue that obviously has, uh, has well, as they say in the business, grown some legs because a lot of people are talking about it, including Health Minister Christine Elliott, who addressed it yesterday. We are really encouraging people not to travel from a lockdown zone to a, a zone that has, is at a lesser level, even though Hamilton is in the red. Uh, but it's still, we want people to stay in place, stay in your own homes as much as possible. Possible. Well, are people doing that? And and what kind of a, a PR move was this by Lime Ridge Mall? I mean, they took a shot at this, obviously, and there's been a lot of pushback on it. Alyssa Freeman is a public relations and pop culture media expert, joining us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about that. Alyssa, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you on the show again. Pleasure to be on your show, Bill. These are difficult times, I understand, for retailers and everything else. But uh, when Limeridge sends a note out, and this is a note that actually was sent to the to the store employees and, and the retailers within the mall uh, that was leaked, obviously, to the media, which is how we got a hold of it, uh, they specifically talked about this extension of hours to say to accommodate shoppers from the lockdown areas in the GTA. Good move or bad move? Well, here's what I did before I got on your show, Bill. I actually talked to a friend of mine who is uh, in management at one of the uh, the uh, popular stores um, that you find in many malls. And I said to her, because she was in um, Vaughn, which was just recently locked down, yeah. and I know that that mall that's near me was absolute madness. And, I'm, and when you think about the workers, the people who are in contact with this many people every day, you know, this is a really double-edged sword. Perhaps the general management of the mall is thinking, you know what, we can really get a boon from this. This will really help our businesses. Maybe it'll help them pay their rent. And this is really a good thing. But, you know, when you do something like this, especially, you know, when we're talking about public relations, you really have to talk to your constituency first. So it's just, it's just not the people writing the checks for the rent, but it's also the people working in the stores. And they're there because they have a job and that, that it is busy. But at the end of the day, you're exposing them to more and more people. And yes, people are supposed to be max, um, masked up and, you know, doing the whole social distancing thing. But it is really, it, it's really an anxiety ridden time if you are working in retail right now. And, and therein lies the problem, because a lot of the, the feedback I've heard, the, the negative feedback especially, are from uh, emails that actually identify themselves as people that work in the mall. And they were shocked by this and they said, hey, wait a second, we didn't, we didn't sign on for this. And, and you know what, you raise an excellent point, Bill, because you just can't make these unilateral decisions without doing a 360 audit or a, a little bit of research on the people that it's going to affect. So, yes, maybe um, Lime Ridge thought that this would be a great business decision. But in terms of protecting the people that work within the mall, no. And what will the upshot of all of this be for an extra hour? And, you know, I, honestly, I mean, I have family in Hamilton, but I certainly didn't think of running to Lime Ridge Mall to do shopping. But now, now that this memo has been leaked, it was, A, yes, a good news story, but it also made people think, oh, it's 45 minutes down the 401. Boom, let's go and let's do some shopping. So, you know, what will happen now? Will Hamilton have to go into a lockdown to, because people from the GTA are running there to do their Christmas shopping? That would not be a great result of this move. 
Well, and the other element of this, too, is, is as you said, on the philosophical level, uh, that this whole idea of this announcement really runs contrary to what just about every public health official is telling us. Stay home. You know, whether you're in a lockdown area or a red zone or whatever you're in, stay home. And this basically, this message from Limebridge says, no, no, come over here. Come over here. We're, we'll welcome you. Well, and talk about other constituents other than just the people who, not just, but the people who work in the mall, but also public health. They should have really touched base with public health and said, listen, we're thinking of opening up an extra hour. Is that going to be a problem? What a, One phone call, Bill. It could have been one phone yeah. call. And I'm sure that public health there would have said, you know what? Don't do it. Keep it the way it is. It's working. Your, you know, your tenants are busy. And we don't want to start encouraging people from other zones to come in. And look what happened. So really, when you're making what can be considered in many cases, and I don't think I'm exaggerating here, life or death decisions for some people, you really have to do your homework. Well, sure. And I, I don't know if you heard the conversation with the counselor for the area just before you jumped in with us here today, but uh, she was saying, you know, a lot of seniors, you know, need that extra hour. Those are the people that are more vulnerable uh, to the virus. I, I, and, you know, you have to wonder about exposure in situations like that. I, I, I just, this, this seems to me to fit into the uh, an ever-growing number of, of mindsets, I think, that we're seeing right now that, you know what, we got a vaccine, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, let's just slack off a little bit. But the numbers that we're getting right across the province right now, it's basically saying, you know what, we're going in the wrong direction here. 110%. And just because we have a vaccine, not just because, I mean, this is really a momentous thing, you know, in under a year, uh, we were able to have a vaccine that will help hopefully rid of this worldwide pandemic. But that doesn't mean we have to, we can let our guard down, not at all. Not everybody's going to get the vaccine, obviously, at the same time. It's going to take probably about, I don't know, six, eight, 12 months, uh, you know, to roll the whole thing out. So then people can still be vectors for the disease. It still means we need to wear masks. It still means we need to socially distance. And this is not a free pass, get out of jail, you know, pass, go, collect $200 card. It is not. And the issue with all of this is, is that you're getting more and more people resistant to the public health messaging that we know works just because they're tired of wearing a mask. The communication around this has to be consistent. It has to be consistent across all jurisdictions, not just in this province, but I also think in this country, which requires greater collaboration on the municipal, provincial and federal level to really help us get us through this thing. Absolutely. And and, and I'm on same page as you. I'm totally sympathetic to the people that, that manage these stores, that pay the rent of these stores, and the employees that work in these stores. And uh, it's it's financially hard for everybody these days. But uh, I, this seems to be to be another example. I know you've talked about this in the past, that, yeah, there is such a thing as bad publicity. Uh, and, and I'm wondering if they're regretting it already. They seem to be walking back on it a little bit anyway. Well, they're regretting it because you and I are talking about it, and it's mm -hmm. all over the media and um, all over the Global News Network. So, you know, this is not something that they thought would get out beyond the parameters of the mall. But I think that the lesson here is anything time you put anything in print that affects the population at large, you really have to think, gee, what would happen if this got into somebody else's hands, um, for example, the media? How would this make us look? Maybe we should take a step back and really do our due diligence here. I think a little bit, you know, 10 minutes of sober second thought here would have made a world of difference for the people who run Lime Ridge Mall. Alyssa, thanks so much for jumping on with us today. Really appreciate your input. Uh, best of the holidays to you, too, and uh, stay well. Yes, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and thank you for having me on.
Take care. Alyssa Freeman, uh, PR and pop culture media expert, and always a welcome guest on the program. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's talk about mental health right now. One in four Canadians are still feeling moderate to extreme levels of anxiety. There's some are binge drinking, others have gone to other substance uh, abuses. Uh, the trends that continue to alarm mental health experts right across the country. Joining us to talk about this uh, is Dr. Haley Hamilton. Uh, Dr. Hamilton is a senior scientist with the Institute for Mental Health and Policy Research at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for the time. I'm glad you could join us today. Well, thank you for having me. We've always talked about the the, the physical and, and, and emotional impacts of something like a pandemic that we're going through, and there's those of us, of course, who are, have had to actually go through this and have tested positive. But for all, those of us that have been working from home, who have been self-isolating, who have been doing so many things, and in some cases not doing things that we usually do, how does that impact our mental health? Well, I think it's just a great deal of uncertainty that we've been dealing with since um, the lockdown began in March. Um, you know, we in the first wave, um, there was a great deal of anxiety. People were stressed. There was a lot of uncertainty with respect to what was going to be happening. Um, for those who were parents, kids were out of school. They had to deal with that as well as work, trying to work from home if they were able. For others, they had to go out um, and brave public transit or brave the workplace. So, you know, that has a, a great deal of impact on us. And, you know, there was some calm, a bit of calm during the summer months. Uh, but then with the second wave of the pandemic, uh, concerns started to rise and anxiety started to rise again. So that's where we are right now. I mean, our, our life, I guess, as some person described it to me, is, is all peaks and valleys. You know, there's high, high times, low times. This is an awfully long time to be in, in that valley, though. It, you know, it's, as you say, going on 10 months. And, and notwithstanding, I, I, I think the excitement a lot of us are feeling about the vaccines uh, stories that we've heard over the last couple of days, uh, the experts are still telling us that, look, it's just going to be well into summer before you're going to see a change of, of, of the lifestyle here. We're pretty much stuck in the, in the rut that we're in right now, aren't we? Uh, yes, for a while, and, 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 and that, again, should be interesting to see, uh, because with the, with the vaccine announcement, people are, okay, great, um, there's hope. Uh, but then at the same time, there's going to be maybe a little bit of disappointment when people realize that it is going to take a while for, for most people to be vaccinated and for the vaccinations to have an impact on, on what we're able to do. Uh, and so those expectations have to be measured, obviously, and, uh, and we're hearing that already from the experts. How, how do we deal with something like this, though, Doctor, on, on an individual basis? Uh, as, uh, you know, we're clustered together in some cases like this, you know, families of, of two or three or four, but there are people that are all by themselves now. And there must be a, an extreme feeling of isolation for many of them. Absolutely, and this is why it's so important um, to think about what you can do to better cope. Um, and we really hope to relay that and encourage people to engaging, engage in strategies, um, healthy strategies uh, to help cope. And that was also included in our survey. And we found that quite a few people in- indicated that they were. They were engaging with family and friends uh, virtually. They were engaged in physical activity. They were spending time outdoors. Uh, a bit, it's a bit colder now, so it requires more effort. Um, but things like that, you know, engaging in your hobbies and having a structure during the day, those things help um, to cope with these challenging times. Yeah, that's a difficult feeling for an awful lot of people. I mean, I've been working from home since about the middle of March now, and uh, I, I, I got some advice from some people I knew that were actually, you know, self-employed to begin with, and they said, you, you treat it like an ordinary business day. You get up, you, you know, have your shower and get dressed and go to work, whether it's across the hall or across town. Uh, this is how you do it. You have to treat it. The routine is important to humans, isn't it? 
Absolutely. Having that structure, because I, I work from home. And again, I do the same as you. I wake up, you come to my, come into my desk, and I work. And at the end of the day, then I, just as if I was coming home, then I do other activities. Uh, so for, for those who are able to have that structure, it helps a great deal because not the day's not just staring you in the face, wondering what am I supposed to do all day. Um, so this is why having these, these activities, um, these strategies, are so important because they, they, they give us purpose and you're not just sitting there bored and wondering, what am I going to do? We have to find ways to entertain ourselves and we have to find ways to uphold those physical activity um, that we used to do, going outside, just, just breathing the air, getting some sunlight. That's important. How important is physical exercise uh, to, to mental health? I mean, we've heard this in the past that, you know, you should, you should try to exercise so many hours per day, et cetera. And, and I think a lot of us relate to that from the physical standpoint. Yeah, we want to stay sharp and, and you know, a healthy heart and things of this nature. But, but what about the, the, the mental health aspects of that? Uh, because, again, it's, it's for, for, with respect to that, I don't do research directly on physical activities uh, and its impact on mental health. But at the same time, those things are, we know that those things are important for our physical health. And one of the things we have to remember that mental health is also very important for, for our overall health. Um, and we at CAMH, we tend to say mental health is health. And so again, physical activities, um, we are moving, we are engaged, um, that has an impact. Um, and there's a lot of research that shows that association. Um, so we, we go with that and we do our best. Um, we, we employ whatever strategy we think might help right now. And again, it's something to do it's something that that keeps us active it's something that is good for us um our physical health and therefore it's also good for us with respect to our mental health is there a concern uh, about bad habits that we might pick up during the uh, pandemic and during self-isolation absolutely uh, you mentioned that for example we found that one in four reported engaging in binge drinking and heavy drinking um and we did not see much change over the periods of our survey. We did six phases of survey, and that did not change much. Um, that is an example of a habit that is of concern because when we're through this, to what extent are individuals going to be able to break that, that pattern of behavior? So whatever patterns, we are very concerned about that. And the major concern, too, is that we don't know what the long-term outcomes are going to be with respect to mental health and substance use. So, so that remains a concern. There's a lot um, of wait and see um, that that we're going through right now. Uh, from that standpoint, you're right. I mean, you can't just flick a switch and say, "Okay, you know, the the pandemic seems to be over. I, I, all those bad habits are just going to drop them." Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's difficult for us to to pivot, isn't it? I mean, it was difficult for us to pivot into this this kind of lifestyle. It's going to be just as difficult, I would think, to get back to what we consider to be quote unquote normal. Absolutely, and there you know there are a lot of unanswered questions. Are people when things open up again? Are people just going to say, "Oh my good." gosh, I'm so happy, I'm going to go out, I'm going to do everything I used to do before, or is it going to take a while for people to, to get back to quote-unquote normal? Um, so we don't know, and we, especially with respect to mental health um, and substance use, we really don't know how people are going to adapt um, and, you know, and whether or not anxiety will level off and what's going to happen with other aspects of mental health. So, so it's something that we really have to continue to pay attention to. One of those things, as you said, if there's a, 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 an abuse situation here, a substance abuse of whatever kind uh, that might develop here, that's obviously going to be a huge problem. Uh, the other one, though, of course, is the fact that I think by nature humans are social beings. We like to be with each other. Uh, how difficult is it to, to not be with the, 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 not just the same people, but 
different people to to congregate to to go to a ball game to go to a movie and things of this nature how how close does that push us to the to feelings of not just sadness but into depression um i think i think it does and again it relates to what our resources and supports we have to deal with that uh if you are living alone then it's, of course it's more difficult uh if you have if you're living with family members or if you're able to see other family members um then again that helps uh so it's really about what else is going around, what else is going on, and the supports that you have. And this is why we often say, if you are having experiences of, you know, anxiety, uh, depression, and you're feeling sad, you're feeling down, please reach out to someone. You you can still engage with family and friends that don't live with you. You can engage virtually. Uh, You can reach out for support. There are are services available online and resources available online. Uh, You can talk to your family physician. Um, So those things are important to be be aware of how you're feeling during these times when you're feeling that way and then again to engage with some of those ways of coping that I talked about you know with the routine and, and reaching out and going outside going for a walk those kinds of things to just be more conscious of how you're feeling and taking steps um, to to kind of reduce some of those negative feelings we're doing a lot of things, as I said, that we're, well we've never done before. I mean, I, I know an awful lot of people that, as you mentioned, are are, are far deeper into social media. They're, they're Zoom calling. They've never done that before, uh, but it's become a way of life. There there are tools and there are uh, things that we can do to try to, to uh, I guess, modify our behavior and not feel so lonely. Right, and that's one of the one of the really important things about sharing these findings to make people aware uh, of how what's happening with respect to mental health um, within the general population so that people know if you're feeling that way, you're not alone, um, but to also, you know, give them some sense of, of some of those strategies that they can use um, to, to feel better and that they're, if they're really not feeling well, there are resources out there that they can access online uh, and to please do so um, because help is available. It's just, again, people need to be aware of it and they need to be conscious of how they're feeling, especially now where everybody's experiencing some kind of challenge, but of course, context matters. So it's, it's what is your context? What's going on in your life that might enhance uh, the negative impact for you? Doctor, as you talk to the people that uh, that you did uh, a survey, were they optimistic that they're, that we're going to pull out of this, or is there a, a, a morose feeling that, you know, this is, this is just terrible. I don't know if I'm ever going to recover from this. Well, we did not um, speak to, because we did an online survey, so we didn't have, you know, narratives um, to relate to that but but i think it's you know for other studies uh, who might be having more direct conversations and having more uh, long you know long lengthier interviews with people i think that's an important question to ask you know how are people doing and are people um really feeling that they will pull out of this everyone is looking forward to when this is over absolutely um but i hope that people are remaining positive um throughout this time and again that they, they have the resources that they need um, to try to make it through as best they can. Because this, this is kind of a, a rather precarious time of year anyway, isn't it? I mean, you know, we, we look forward to holidays. It's going to be a different holiday season, certainly this year because of the pandemic. Uh, but at the same time, there are some people that, that get stressed out during that time, and, and uh, that may befall them. And then, of course, you've got what usually tends to happen in January or so. It's, it's a kind of a downtime for everybody, I think, because we're tired of the cold weather and, and the, the lack of sunshine and things of this nature, uh, which I, I guess indicates that this is, is the best time of all to actually reach out to people if you're starting to feel uh, as if you're not getting the best of what's going on because of the pandemic. 
Uh, absolutely, because again, as you mentioned, in December, it's, you know, it's a holiday season. People are sometimes many people are looking forward to seeing their families, seeing their friends, entertaining. And then in January, after the New Year, we kind of okay, it's the dreary January and February months that we have to get through before spring in March. Um, and now with the pandemic, January and February really looking more dreary than usual. Uh, so at, again, at those times, January, February, we really have to pay attention to how we're feeling, and we have to pay attention to our friends and family. I think, and and be conscious of of you know making efforts to really reach out um, and support each other. Yeah, I know we always talk about looking in on somebody to make sure of their physical well-being, but the mental well-being has to be part of that as well, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, we're used to, for me, I'm used to getting together with my family during this time. And so, you know, that much less of that uh, this year. And so you have to be conscious of that, that, geez, what's going to happen? How am I going to feel that I can't see my family to the same extent that I used to in the past? So I'm affected as well. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's impacting all of us, to be sure. Doctor, a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for the time. Oh, thank you for having me. Take care. Dr. Haley Hamilton, Senior Scientist uh, for the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. And reach out to somebody. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.